This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to uh, the third edition of won the lot podcast um you're t- we're here with us with talking devils the number one independent uh manchester united podcast um i'm your host harry from fan owned united and i'm here again with uh, peter and steve uh, steve's a a lifelong uh, united fan had his uh, ticket at old trafford for 25 years and uh, and peter also a lifelong united fan uh, match goer and also football author. Um, so what we'll be doing today is obviously doing a, a recap on the two games of the week, so Aston Villa and, and Tottenham. Uh, also, uh, a few other points to, to talk about um, that kind of in and around United, quite interesting, such as uh, Nacho's contract, um, a few rumours around uh, Jadon Sancho and his future at the club. Um, also, Nemanja Vidic came out with a few comments that we'll be covering uh, and a few other points. Um, if you are uh, joining us live on YouTube, you know, please do uh, leave some comments. Um, and also, if you are listening on the podcast after, uh, do subscribe. So, um, so yeah, let's uh, kick things off with how things went uh, over the two games last week. Um, Sunday was uh, a much better performance overall. Obviously, we won that game at home and uh, was most probably uh, the better side over the first 80 minutes and and obviously like to give everyone at Old Trafford, um, you know, slight concerns and, and, uh, and a bit of, you know, bit of a uh, bit of tense moments in the last 10 minutes or so. Um, so, so Steve, you were there, uh, and Peter as well. But why don't you kick us off, Steve, with uh, with what you thought of the game? Uh, so it was uh, it was much better. Um, as you say, we're going to touch on the, the Tottenham game in a little bit. But um, 
the first point that I just want to make is that we conceded three shots. So, you know, much better, much better. Uh, defensively, um, in the midfield, we, we ran a lot harder uh, against a Villa team who are very much in form. Um, I think in the last 10 games, they've won eight and drawn two. So um, they've really upped their game under Emery. I think they've scored in every game since he took over. And and this was the first game in which they've not scored. So big props to our midfield and defence. Um, a lot of standout performances. Bruno from the right was was fantastic. Lindelof and Shaw again in the middle. Um, Malassia, I think, has improved Um on his last couple of games, he was very kind of dogged. Uh, he was a really good fight against McGinn all game. Um, lots of battles, uh, some won, some lost, but really good battle there. And I think Casemiro is playing himself back into some good form as well. So um, a, a really high back line from Villa, um, notably in the first, you know, 20, 30 minutes. And, and that was always going to be, you know, always going to make a difference. I was saying I went with my dad on, on, um, like to the game and I just said it just needs one when we're on side and and that one came you know Rashford from a Casemiro header and then and then Bruno slots it away really well so much better yeah yeah absolutely I think um you know a few points there which were really important one is uh Casemiro he um <clears throat> seemed to be a little bit off the pace over the last few games I certainly noticed it um, you know, in maybe the Forest game, he wasn't quite there. Sevilla away, uh, I was pretty um, surprised at how lacklustre our midfield were with Eriksen, Savica and um, Casemiro, not really commanding games like he did yesterday. You know, that that's exactly what we expect um, from Casemiro. And, and, you know, like you mentioned as well, with them having quite a high line with their back four, I think it helped us quite a bit in uh, in transition. Like when we did have the ball and we were counter-attacking, um, you know, Casemiro and a few others, Bruno as well, was able to play some really nice kind of 30, 40-yard passes uh, and catch, you know, Sancho, Rashford, etc., etc. on the counter. Um, but Peter, yeah, you, you were there also as well. Um, what were your kind of overall thoughts thoughts on the game versus um, what we had on, on Thursday against Tottenham? Yeah, so uh, it was actually the Spurs game as well and I think it does just show like we our home form has been incredible this season and it's kind of a nice return because the last year it's been, it's been quite easy for teams to come to Old Trafford so it's good to have that back but yeah, the, the Spurs game was almost just us in one. First half what Ten Hag wants us to be and then second, second half showed there's still a lot of work to be done and it is a bit of concern like every time the atmosphere grows the players kind of like uh, they almost like shrink and i was at it and it was like two nil at half time all the spurs fans had more or less packed it in and we just gave them a route back in by dropping too deep and just not keeping control and i don't think it helped that ericsson doesn't seem to be able to do a 90 really because he was quality in the first half against spurs and then noticeable drop off when uh fred had one of those games and Egg horse, and I, yeah, I thought uh, the subs were poor in that game, but he doesn't have much to work with. And then, even what Steve was saying there about like Manassia, he obviously made the kind of was at fault for the Spurs second goal, but I think it was kind of a poor team goal in general. Uh, but he played really well on Sunday, and that was good for him because I think since that Sevilla game, like he hasn't really been in the team, and Dallow's been starting ahead of him. And it was almost surprising to see him start. I thought they would have done Ram Sack and Dallow, 
but I thought he played well, as did all the defence. Um, Shaw, again, kind of just showing like he's the perfect Martinez backup and replacement, just the left side of centre-back, you know, to pass the ball and so on. And, yeah, I think, like, the tactics were really good just for what Villa are. Like, they don't really play with wingers. They had, uh, like, Ramsey and McGinn wide. And I think having Bruno there, like, you're guaranteed you kind of flood the midfield and try and control it. Uh, so I think that really worked. And it is like the difference. Casemiro was just back on form. Like I think recently, I think it's because of the suspensions, to be fair. Like he's had, he just hasn't had a run of games. And he's part, like he's just been a note to be like a little bit off, but it was good to have him back. And uh, yeah, it was weird that Villa, like for someone like Emery, who's like a like a note, like a very good tactician, like he's played against us and he's had a lot of joy against us in recent years. It was just strange that he played such a high line, like, knowing that Rashford is like arguably the best counter attacker, like English counter attacker anywhere. Um, and yeah, like I was in the Stratford end, and like the entire second half, you know, I was just trying to ping the ball over Ashley Young and over the fullbacks. And it was all there was a few times just like the final pass, and it was there wasn't someone in the middle. But uh, yeah, it was much. It was yeah, crucial win, and then especially with the fact that Liverpool obviously won late in the day and the man they did. I think if we draw on that, it just would have, the fear would have crept in a bit of, we might throw this away, but yeah, a welcome win. And uh, yeah, like we should be beating Villa at home, but they are a good team. And like Stephen said, like to keep a clean sheet against them was uh, really good to see. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, <clears throat> you know, they're no, you know, no easy team to beat ever since Emre's taken over. Like you both mentioned, he's, you know, completely rejuvenated them. And they've got some fantastic players. I mean, Ollie Watkins, especially in the second half of the season, has been uh, pretty pr- prolific, scoring quite quite regularly. And I think we did well not to give him too many chances. I think I think there was one kind of one-on-one he had in, in the first half, which, you know, wasn't too difficult, but, you know, a chance nevertheless. And it has been quite surprising how Lindelof and Shaw keep on maintaining that that partnership and not really having too many errors between them to to kind of let other attacking teams through and create chances um but again i mean i think that that angle that emri took i mean it, it was a very aggressive one but one thing that was you know something really positive to see as we've seen throughout the season is Ten Hag really does adapt? You know, he he. You know, I think it's no kind of. It's something that we all know by now, right? That he is a, a very good tactician. You know, he he does dissect how other teams play, and he accordingly, you know, will set up how how we we play our style against them. And <clears throat> another positive. You know, has to be said is we bounce back again with the performance and a result. Like I can't remember the last time we lost kind of three games on the bounce. I know at the beginning of the season, I think maybe Brighton and Brentford we lost back to back, if I'm not mistaken. But after that, whenever we have been um, defeated, had a loss, you know, we've always bounced back. And and more so than than anything what we've been talking about over the last few weeks is how you know fatigue seems to be setting in and you know how the players seem to be looking slightly tired um which i felt we kind of showed in the second half against spurs you know we seem to switch off and 
then you know when they were really kind of attacking us and and giving everything we we kind of looked like we stopped playing but also at that time to be fair i just mentioned about the defense being you know fairly sure um but i felt in the second half because the midfield wasn't quite protecting us they did cut us up um you know more often than not which was which was a shame to see i mean two nil up against tottenham you know if we would have won that game along with yesterday's win I think would have been a, a kind of guaranteed top four finish. I mean, I always err to the side of caution. I mean, we should should kind of be in that position now. Um, but, you know, Spurs, not Spurs, sorry, um, Liverpool are kind of keeping us on our toes slightly. I know we've got a, a game in hand over them, but, uh, but only six points um, difference now in the league. Um, so how do you guys feel about that, Steve? I mean, we'll start with you. Do you think top four is a, is a banker for us now? You think we've done enough? Yeah, I, th I think so. Looking at our running as well, um, it seems to be pretty much achievable. You'd, you'd think looking at the fixtures that we've got, we've got three games at home, three, go three games away. Um, obviously, this week we've got Brighton and, and West Ham, which I, I think we'll touch on in, in a little bit. Uh, then Wolves, then Bord Wolves at home, Bournemouth away, and then finish up with Chelsea at home, then Fulham at home. So it's it's you'd think six gettable games. Um, Brighton probably being the biggest challenge, uh, looking at our recent form against them. And you know, normally on paper you'd look at Chelsea being the hardest game, but they're obviously having an absolute stinker of a season. Um, so yeah, the other games on paper you'd think with the squad that we've got. Um, we, we should be we should be getting those points on the board. Uh, we we need nine points out of those uh, out of those six games to to qualify automatically. So I think that's the uh, that's the aim, and I think we should really be getting five out of six. And and I'd be t I'd take a draw on Thursday. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, we saw in the uh, in the FA Cup semi final, right? How good of a team Brighton yeah. are, and um, I think it's going to be no no easy easy win if we are able to win on Thursday, especially away from home. Um, I mean, Wambasaka did an amazing job on on Mitoma in the semi final, and he's going to need to be he's going to need to be at that level um, if he's to play on Thursday. Actually, a little a little exclusive, not not massive breaking news, um, but my friend. Um, was staying up in London. He's, so there's a there's a hotel in the Shard called the Shangri-La, and he bumped into Wambisaka in the lift yesterday. So let's hope he's fit. That's the first thing I said to him. I said, "Did you ask him if he's going to training tomorrow?" Um, but he said he wasn't really ready for for a conversation. He he just took a quick picture. Um, but hmm. yeah, let's hope he's just come down to London for a little visit rather than. Um, he's picked up a niggle, but um, I think he def he definitely is the preferred right back. Um, I think the Brighton players have got a lot of uh, rest in them as well. Uh, obviously, the, mm. the game against Wolves at the weekend, uh, Deserby rested like five first team players in that six nil win, which was incredible. I watched I watched that, and uh, they played some incredible football, and that's without McAllister. Caicedo wasn't playing. Obviously, you've not got Ferguson up front. Mitoma wasn't playing, so they had a lot of, of first team players out. So 
they should be rested quite well for the game on Thursday. Yeah. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah, yeah, which obviously something something we don't have, right? Ten Hag has kind of stuck it out with our first team week in, week out, pretty much since January, um, which he'll, I'm sure, do again. But just that point, I think, yeah, Wamsaka needs to play over Dallow. Although Dallow's done an amazing job this year, he, he's going to be a massive impact. We need the midfield, again, to put in a similar performance yesterday. Just that point on fatigue I was I was making earlier, I didn't get to finish. One thing that was quite refreshing to see is on Sunday, that team didn't look fatigued. I, I don't know what happened between Thursday and, and Sunday, but we started like so bright, brightly and fresh. Um, it, it was really good to see. So um, I don't know what the, the medical team are doing, but they, they maybe changed something um, recently. Um, but yeah, how about yourself, Peter? I mean, what, what do you think about the top four and and that being sealed off? You know, I mean, like I said, it's not nice being kept honest by uh, by Liverpool. Yeah, um, yeah, I really think if like trust Spurs, like even a three 0 up, like like it's like three 0 down and come back, just the most Spurs thing of all time. But yeah, Spurs really did us in this week of turning up, getting a draw against us, and then throwing away against Liverpool. Yeah, just for United, you're, it's just, I just don't expect it to be easy. I can just see us making it difficult for ourselves um, when it really should be. Yeah, we should be able to seal it in a couple of games. But no, I think there'll be still a twist and turn in that one. But uh, yeah, like it is the, the Brighton, it's this week, I think, that the Brighton West Ham games, if we can get like four points from those two, I'd like get yeah, going because I think we'll win all our home games and Bournemouth are, Bournemouth are safe, more or less, I think. Like if Bournemouth were battling for relegation, you just don't want to play in teams that have everything to play for. Uh, so I think we should be all right there. But uh, yeah, just like every time you kind of think, ah, you know, I'd be like tuned up against Spurs, you're like, that's ah, done. We're always around the corner, like we're always around the corner from a disaster or things just going back to like the that like things we've seen in the past. And uh, like Brighton, yeah, Brighton was we lost 4 0 there last season, so it's just a little bit like, oh, yeah, not really looking forward to that game. Uh, but we really should have the psychological edge over them. We just knocked them out of the FA Cup semi-final, biggest game in their history, biggest game in their last what 20, 30 years. Um, but you just don't really know which United's going to show up. And yeah, I just think at home we just do have the extra like ten percent. It's just away from home, and there's I don't know, like it's like a yeah, it's, it's a legacy thing at this point. Like we've lost a lot of away games by big results. So uh, and I'm just yeah, not exactly. some noise. Yeah, just Absolutely. don't. Yeah. I don't like playing West Ham in general. It's always seems sticky. So, uh, yeah, I think this week's the big one. And then hopefully we can, yeah, I don't know. Like, I think Casemiro come back to form might make the whole difference. Like, you'd really back us uh, against the field with him on form. So, uh, yeah, just wait and see. Like, I'm pessimistic United fan, but it's more, we should be beating these teams. But every time we should do something, we don't seem to do it. So, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, our waveform has definitely been um, what needs to be worked on going into next season. It's been our Achilles heel and, you know, really kind of cost us as to making this kind of top four fight um, slightly more comfortable than it should have been, you know. Um, but on the on the flip side of things, I mean, over the last few years, our home form hasn't really been the best. And you know, back in the days of of Alex Ferguson, I mean, some loads of teams used to say we'd lost the game before we even got out the tunnel, you know, because it was such a fortress 
and the teams they would play would be so formidable and me- mentally, you know, teams would struggle to win there. So, I mean, that's that's a massive plus this season because, again, we haven't lost since Brighton right, right at the beginning of the year um, in all competitions, I think, not just the Premier League. Um, but you're right. I mean, um, I've got this little thing in front of me as to, you know, our away form and against the the top, I think, the top nine teams in the Premier League, we've lost se- seven of them. And sorry, it's against top top eight. We've lost seven and drawn one. Um, and obviously, the notable losses there were Liverpool seven nil um, and Brentford four nil as well as City, um, they beat us 6-3. So, I mean, some of them are pretty heavy, heavy defeats, which we need to work on next year. But, I mean, that also is is kind of, I think, being highlighted a little bit too much. Because, I mean, if we had the perfect season and our away form was great, we'd be kind of gunning for the title. And we all knew at the beginning of the season that that was not an achievable kind of goal based on... Um, the season we had last year. I mean, I'm sure you guys would both agree. Um, this time last year, if you know someone said to you we would have won the Carabao Cup, would be in the FA Cup final, and we would likely to be in the top four um, places for the Champions League next year, you know, you would have taken that and and some, you know, based on how the team were performing. So. I think there's there's a lot of positives, a few negatives that need to be worked on. But with the transfer window coming up, I think Ten Hag will definitely be able to identify where he wants to improve and strengthen. I mean, so far, so good in his recruitment. You can't really um, question the players he's brought in, bar maybe Malassia that needs to, you know, kind of kind of show his worth a little bit. But everyone else has been fantastic. Um, so yeah, I definitely think there's there's good things uh, to come next season for us to improve even further. Um, yeah, moving moving on, a few other points I want to talk about today. Um, one big bit bit of news over the last week was uh, obviously the Garnacho contract extension. Um, he signed a five year deal uh, going out to 2028. Obviously, a massive plus um, for us. I think he's really turned up on many occasions in, in big, big games and made the difference, kind of notably against City. Um, you know, he completely changed that game for us at home and, and um, you know, was a reason why why we won in the end. Um, so, Steve, what do you think of Ganacho so far and, and I'm, you know, your overall thoughts on his contract extension? Yeah, very happy about it. Um, I think he's been one of the surprise packages of this season, and you know, you could even say one of the one of the highlights. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of highlights this season, but to have an academy product, yes, he's not from Manchester, but he has come through the academy, age eighteen, putting in the minutes that he has done um, effectively as well. There's there's been a lot of game time that's been at a consistent level that. You wouldn't really expect too much from an 18-year-old. So, you know, the the win away at Fulham, the last-minute goal was uh, was a really big win in 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 our season. Um, you know, the way he took that under pressure at that speed uh, shows a lot of composure for someone who's over the age of of 18, 19. So, 
Um, I think it's a really big positive. And, you know, if he can come back by the start of next season, really firing, I know he's, he's going to come back, hopefully, by the end of this season. And I think we actually get to keep him instead of taking him to the under twenties um, in the European, in the uh, Argentine, in, in the Argentine uh, World Cup squad. So that's a really big positive as well that he'll be back for City if he can get some game time. So um, yeah, really positive news, and hopefully he can kick on and start playing a bit more of a of a role in the squad next, potentially pushing Sancho on a little bit as well, which I think he might need a little bit of competition. So. <clears throat> Yeah, I'm 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 really happy. I'm really happy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's he's you know really gone leaps and bounds this year. Um, you know, really added to the squad. Uh, what do you think, Peter, about what he has to offer? Yeah, I think he's been great. Like he's absolutely electric since coming in, and I think you can kind of tell a quick cool player. I mean, like he knows he belongs on the stage. I think he almost believes it too much. Like with Ten Hag is like obviously on preseason last year, he's late to a few meetings and. Uh, so on, but I think Ten Hag is like the perfect manager for him to kind of like keep him in check. And he's never gone like overboard with praise on him, and he's always kind of like you know kept him grounded and so on as much as he can. And even Bruno, like, should he score that winner against Fulham? Pretty sure Bruno just kicked him in the backside. So it is that kind of thing of like there is like he's getting told like yeah like this is the standard like it's not just you know he's yeah but he does seem to have the mentality and the mindset and the personality to play for United. Um, so yeah, like. Yeah, I hope. I just think, yeah, Tanag's the right manager for him. And I just hope we don't do anything silly in the summer, like give him the seven shirt or even the 11 shirt, because both of them are, have been cursed. Mm -hmm. And uh, there is just the fear of Adnan Yanazai still hanging around. But uh, I do think the fact that Yanazai was in Moyes this season was the only bit of positive news we had. That's why we all kind of lashed onto him. But uh, I, yeah, I think the fact Garnacho's getting games when we're actually playing relatively, we played relatively well this season mostly. And uh, there is competition in the wide spots more than a lot of other parts of the team. So, uh, yeah, I think you can only be positive about him. And uh, it doesn't matter. Like, he, uh big week from like, signed a new contract and he's announced his, uh, his part, he's pregnant with his partner. So, uh, it's mad to think he's 18. But, uh, yeah, I think, yeah, just hopefully Madrid don't come sniffing anytime soon because, like, we've seen that before. Yeah, absolutely. Well, New contract has come in perfect time for him, you know, uh, babies and, na and nappies, etc. not cheap. So I'm sure that the new contract will be more than enough to. to Has anyone up. seen the wages? Because I've, I've not I've not seen anything to do with wages. No, a lot of I people, tried, when they get new contracts, tend to I have. Tried to, yeah. I tried to look it up, but there was nothing on the news outlets. Yeah. Like even the kind of loose news outlets like Daily Mail, etc. No one, no one reported it. Uh, I just don't think I just don't think Ten Hag would let him be like I think there was talk around his wages and then then obviously he like properly like broke in. I never knew he was good because he's FA Youth Cup that's our last season and so on. But uh he could have got a bigger contract. But I'd say United I'd say it's a very incentivized contract being like if you get X amount of games for the first team, score X amount of goals, which is should how it should be. Yeah. Because he hasn't really like obviously he looks very good, but like he hasn't done it like he hasn't done anything yet in his career still. Obviously scored a few goals, but yeah, I don't think Ten Hag would let him be getting a like hundred grand a week contract or anything. So, Brandon you know, Williams contract, sixty grand a week. <laughs> I, I, like, I like I like Brandon Williams, but uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, he's another one. You, you forget Brandon Williams at United, and then like he's on, on the Wembley pitch when we win. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I think he's a new mascot. 
Um, but yeah, no, I think I think you guys are right there. I mean, there was talk earlier in the season where he wanted Ten Hag, sorry, wanted to put a cap in of 200k across the squad, right? So if we put that in perspective to what I think he'll be aiming to do with Ganacho, is he most probably had a conversation saying, "Look, you're doing fantastic for us. Um, we definitely see that you have a future at the club." But even this five-year contract will take him to uh, an age of 23. So it's not exactly the next five years are not going to be the prime part of his career. Um, and then, yeah, I, I assume that his wages obviously will be will be an increase, but yeah, nothing close to to the kind of you know 100k mark. I think you know that may you know people might be thinking in, in the back of their heads. I think. You know, going forward in all contracts, Ten Hag will want to keep um, everyone at a at a kind of you know level-headed kind of approach and not giving them silly silly wages, which is what we've done in the past. Um, so yeah, I mean, you guys obviously mentioned as well the options we have on the wings. I think, funnily enough, that's actually one area of the pitch that I'm not too concerned about anymore. I mean, historically, especially on the right-hand side, we've had big issues in regards to, you know, getting someone who can play regularly there. Um, Anthony is kind of shining through and, and done a great job. But I've got really, you know, a lot of faith in Palestri and Ganacho equally to kind of come through over the next couple of years um, and play in those positions and give, you know, competition to, you know, like you said, Sancho to keep him on his toes. But obviously, you know, Rashford as well, he's interchangeable. He'll play on the left, which I think sometimes he maybe favours um, versus going in the middle. So in that kind of a attacking uh, area overall, I think the, the key is for us to sign an out-and-out -out striker. So, yeah, I think the wings are fine. And him as a player, I think, like you said, Peter, what I'm even more impressed by as well as his... Um, skill and ability is his mentality. It's almost like he has that, in his own way, he has that kind of united way of playing, that united mentality of taking on players, running past players, not being afraid. Um, and I think Rashford kind of had that when he was also 18, but it, it petered out slightly. But just the kind of, I wouldn't quite say arrogance, he's... He may slightly border sometimes on arrogance, but he's incredibly confident, yeah. given that right, yeah. his own ability. And he has that little bit of kind of, he has a bit of a banter kind of side to him where he's a bit tongue-in-cheek sometimes, you know, with the the kind of, uh, the happy um, celebration he did against Barca when we beat them um, uh, and all of that kind of stuff. But I think that is sometimes what you need um, to become uh, a really good football player to have that belief in yourself. It's not surprising that uh, like his, he models himself off Ronaldo. So like mm. Ronaldo's icon and Ronaldo had that as well. I think like Rashford was, it's when you're homegrown, it's more like more humble, I think. Whereas Granacho's like on him, like he's like, this is where I, I'm supposed to do this. And that's, I think you need that. Like you can't be at United and not fully back yourself. You know, like, I deserve to be here. I'm one of the best players of my age group in the world, so on and so on. And that's kind of something maybe that's missing with Sancho at times, being like, oh, back yourself a little bit more. Like, you obviously have the talent. I just think Garnaccio is like, I'll just run at you and back myself to go through you. Yeah, and that Fulham goal, 
you mentioned was pretty much a carbon copy of uh, Ronaldo's from a few years ago, right, as well. Um, but, yeah, we obviously we mentioned the wing positions and um, potentially these guys, both Palestri and Ganacho, keeping Sancho on his toes and giving giving them, um, giving them him, rather, a bit of competition. Um, there's also been rumours, very loose rumours this week, um, of a Dortmund potentially wanting to to re-sign him. Um, he's had a, a bit of a turbulent time, uh, obviously at United, um, needed to have a break over the winter because um, he said he was suffering with mental health issues, which obviously is, is absolutely fine if that's what he was struggling with. I think the, the club as well did a fantastic job to support him in that. You know, it's not easy to be a football player. You're under the spotlight all of the time. Um, obviously, didn't have the best first season either last year. Didn't really kick kick on. Um, surprisingly, I thought he was good on Sunday, um, but he seems to blow slightly hot and cold because, I mean, he scored against Liverpool at home, then had a bit of a, a, a dry patch. Um, sometimes he loses confidence, I think, in games. For example, I went to Forest away, he didn't look like he was doing too much in that game, putting his foot on the ball a lot of the time, not really taking on players going backwards. Um, so if an offer did come in from, from Dortmund for a, a reasonable amount, a fair amount of money, um, would, if you were in Ten Hag's shoes, would, would you take it and move, move him on? Or do you think that Ten Hag believes that he could potentially, um, you know, rejuvenize his career like Rashford has done in some certain sense um, and kick on. What do you think, Peter, um, you know, would potentially happen in that circumstance? I think, uh, no, nah, I wouldn't get rid of him. I'd give him like 100% another season. Like you said, it's been very terrible in front. He joined United directly after getting racially abused and missing a penalty in England's biggest game in 55 years. So that wasn't easy for him. And then the manager who bought him, Solskjaer was gone within months and even towards the end of Solskjaer he was playing back five and Sancho just wasn't getting any minutes so and yeah it's just been a terrible time for me he's not his third manager already at the club and obviously he's obviously got some personal issues that we don't know what exactly happened there but like obviously like you said like um like if you've got like yeah he should 100% be dealing with them and I don't think Ten Hag would have put the time and effort into him if he didn't think there was a player there I think he would have been like we're gonna get rid of this guy the first chance we get and I don't think that'll happen. Uh, but I think I said like last week, like you can't be waiting five years for someone to fulfill their potential at United. So I think it's next season, like, right, you get a full preseason, there's no international tournaments, there's no World Cups in the middle and so on, and just go at it. And uh, it's about time we bought someone from Dortmund who worked out because Kagawa, Mikatarian, like they've sold us. The players who were their best players and they come to United and they kind of fall apart. So uh, now nah, I think... Like you said, it'd be good for him to have pressure. And uh, it's just a bit annoying that he can't play on the right because when we bought him, it was like, oh, he's fixed the right side of the problem. Uh, we have a lot of left-sided attackers. And uh, we're forgetting, we're forgetting like, Ahmed might come in as well, like Ahmed Diallo. So, uh, yeah, we've lots of options there, but I definitely think it's worth persistence with Sancho at least for a season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think as you mentioned there as well, I mean, Ahmed coming in, I forgot to mention him. I think... He definitely deserves to be in the squad next season based on what he's been able to do uh, this year, Borough. Uh, sorry, Sunderland. Um, and yeah, I think a couple of points, you know, that you mentioned there, and, and things that I kind of dwell on sometimes is is footballers with quality 
don't forget how to play football. You know, it's it's not something where they wake up wake up one morning and they forget. You know how how you know they were able to in Sancho's case, you know, dribble along the wings. He used you know he created some fantastic goals for Haaland, Used to score a lot himself. You know, you just don't lose that talent overnight. Um, and I think he's in a similar position as to what Rashford was a couple of years back, right? When he was low on confidence, you know, there were games where he, he couldn't score for love nor money. Um, and I think Sancho is is in a similar posi- position right now. And like you said, next season, if we can just give him a clear run of games, maybe give him a bit more confidence, Um you know, I think he needs a lot of kind of one-on-one work, um, like what's happened this season. Again, going back to Rashford, I think Benny McCarthy has put in a lot of work um, as an attacking coach and has, has really got the best out of him. That's what a lot of people have been saying around the club. I think we need something similar um, with Jaden Sancho for, for him to just settle down as such. I mean, obviously he needs to improve. Um, slightly, but he has the the basic attributes and more, I think, to to develop. He just needs that, that little bit of confidence. Um, how about you, Steve? What what do you think on the Sancho situation? Do you think it's time for him to go? Would you I think both, you, I think both, of you, both of you make good points um, in <laughs> in you know positive way for Sancho. Um, I think. At Dortmund versus at United, it's a very different context of, of how he plays. Um, in Dortmund, you know, you're one of two um, title-challenging teams, really. Um, there's a lot more competition in England. There's a lot more space in Germany. There's a lot less space in England. And I think that Sancho is a player that needs space. Um, he, he likes to get into these little pockets, play with those technical players who can get him into space, into his favoured spaces to, to run in. And yeah, at Dortmund, he was feeding Haaland every week. So those numbers are always going to go up in terms of his, you know, expected assists or, or even assists. You know, I think in three years in a row, he was getting over 15 assists in the Bundesliga, which, you know, you're going to feed Haaland. If you, if you, if you give him 15 chances in the season, he'll score 12 of them. So uh, it's, uh, it's a lot different. Um, you know, feeding Haaland than feeding um, Martial or, or Begost. Um, so I think if we get in a striker, which we're obviously looking to, then will his numbers improve, first of all? Yes, probably. Um, will his uh, overall play improve with a focal point to play off or play into? Absolutely. Um, if he can get some consistency. Uh, however, I think if I'm going to name my front three for next season, Sancho wouldn't be in it. Um, and is he going to be happy as a bit part player? As bit part is maybe a bit harsh, but, you know, out of five games, he might be starting one or potentially two if there's if there's injuries or rotation. Um, is he going to be happy sitting on the bench for 75% of, of starts, of, of, of games? Um, so you, you just don't know where a player's head's at. He might be pushing to move, but he's two years into a five-year contract on 200 grand a week, I think, or, or quite high wages. And is he going to be able to fetch a fee that we'd be happy with? Or will a buying team want to 
stump up the wages that he's on at the moment. So there's a lot of what ifs. And I think if he's pushing for a move, you know, who knows what's happening behind the scenes, um, then if we can get a decent fee, then it needs to probably be spoken about a little bit more seriously. But yeah. right now, I, I I think I'm in the, the same camp as, as Peter. Uh, I'd give him another year. See what he can do with uh, with the focal point in, in a striker to play off, and then if he if he improves, then then great. And if not, then I think next season it should be a, a serious discussion. You know whether we can get so, just on that point you're making about if he wanted the move and if he wasn't playing much. That's kind of the challenge. Like you're not supposed to be united like a guaranteed spot. It should be like you have to play well to play because there's other good players. And in recent years we haven't had competition in spots. Like that's why. Like a like Martial, he you know he could never play when there was someone competing with him for a spot. Whereas like you look at like United's best teams, like ninety nine, just for example, like four strikers, very twenty five years ago. But there has to be like you're not playing well, you're out of the team. Not like like there's been you know, a bit of an accountability and a bit of a. That's what all every, you look at every single top side in Europe. Like you look at City, they've like Phil Foden's on the bench for them at the moment. So it shouldn't mm-hmm. be a case of like you don't play, I'm out and. That would, if that was the case, it would suggest well, your mentality isn't right for the club anyway. But uh, I think it is a lot of soft rumours and just, you know, like, I think rumours at this time of the season are a bit irrelevant. You kind of wait till things, wait, wait for the season to end and then we'll see what happens. But uh, again, I wouldn't, give, I wouldn't give him the seven shirt either. I think we just leave that one. <laughs> no, someone, definitely not. Someone earn that shirt because we've just given it to people and yeah, yeah. It's almost like Sancho's not confident enough to have the seven, and Granacho's too confident to have it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, but yeah, I think just to close it off, I think you know, let's say a, a kind of reasonable offer does come in, I think it'll definitely give Ten Hag something to think about because um, that could be money that he can reinvest elsewhere. Obviously, trying to get a striker. But on the flip side of things, I mean, if you look at where we are, this right now at this point in the season we've you know played so many games and now we've picked up injuries and it's got to a point where Sancho's had to play some games because our you know options across all you know the wing positions have been slightly thin um which is another thing he has to kind of I guess think about and contend with so it could be a bit of a 50 50 it just depends like you said on a few factors if you want to leave the amount of money offered um, and the kind of depth, you know, Ten Hag thinks we have in those positions. Um, so, yes, I guess we will see what happens in the summer there. Um, another little topic uh, just wanted to mention today. Uh, it's uh, one of our United Legends birthdays today, uh, Mr. David Beckham. Um, gave uh, a lot of success to the club Um Hopefully he's tuning in, uh, and uh, you know, is a is a weekly member of the podcast. I mean, I'm not holding my breath, but you never know, David. If you're listening, happy birthday to you! Um, obviously, he did great things at the club. Um, I personally felt his time there was maybe cut a little bit short, but you know, everyone everyone says when Fergie believes the player's time's up, his time's up, and um, I think Fergie believed his kind of focus was elsewhere outside of football. Um, even though, you know, regardless, he did have a great time there and 
and you know was had great memories great success so in regards to one kind of single favorite memory of Bex, uh, what would you say, Peter, is a, is a standout one for you? Hello, is he still there? I think uh, I think he might have frozen. Uh, he's gonna be frozen. Go on, Steve. We'll we'll jump on to you whilst uh, Peter's getting back online. Sure. Um, yeah, my I grew up in uh, well, I was born in 1992, so. You know when uh, when United started winning absolutely everything was was the kind of time when I was growing up. So from obviously the age of the age of six, uh, I started going to Old Trafford. Uh, my favourite player was David Beckham. Uh, I had him on my shirt every single year until he left, and then I I, uh, I, I transferred to Van Nistelrooy. Um, but yeah, he was he was such a good player. Um, he he gave absolutely everything, and I think my my favourite memory of of David Beckham was, I think the goal he scored against Real Madrid, where um, he beat three or four players on the edge of the box and then put it into the top bins uh, against Casillas, um, who's obviously a great keeper. And I actually think we lost that game, but <laughs> it was it was such a good goal and and obviously very different. Uh, bit of play than than what he's kind of known to be famous for um you know getting the ball wide whipping in those crosses to, to Cole and York were um absolutely classic David Beckham with Gary Neville on the overlap um it's obviously you know great memories and, and great to see whenever you're looking at highlights on on Sky Sports or or whatever uh, platform you might be watching on but yeah, some some great memories watching uh, watching Bex and and yeah, happy birthday! And if you're watching, hi, hi. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, you just just mentioned something there about the overlap. I think you never know. Maybe that's why um, he's called his pod the overlap because he kept on going past David Beckham. I think it has to be. That's that's his signature move. <laughs> one of the things that he's the code. Yeah, one of the things he's mainly famous for at United. Is uh, is the overlapping run from from Beckham, who wasn't <laughs> blessed with an amazing pace? Hold, hold yeah. the ball, up, wait for the option, the overlap, and then just completely ignore him. So, yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'd say for me, it's a little bit cliche and it's an easy one to pick out. But uh, Champions League final, the delivery of both those crosses um, to get the goals. I mean, was was yeah, massive highlight. I mean, if it wasn't for him. I don't think we would have won the Champions League final purely and simply. I mean, no one delivered mm -hmm. the ball from crossing positions or corner kicks like he did, right? So uh, that's that's the one for me. Even though it's not a goal, um, I would say that would be my favourite moment. And just um, just in the context, I think, of when that happened, right? That was in 99, uh, a year after he was getting so much stick from what happened in the World Cup. I mean, I'm sure you guys remember, you know, there was effigies of him. He was getting stick at every away ground. People weren't even sure if we would keep him or sell him on. So considering it was really just soon after um, all of that kind of attention and, and him having to deal with that, um, to be so, so kind of focal in regards to that 98-99 season and capping it off, with the Champions League final, that would be my favourite moment. Um, how about you, Peter? We got you back. Um, what, yeah, what would be your favourite moment? 
Uh, yeah, I don't know what's actually happened there, but uh, the signal went in the house, I think. Uh, favorite Beckham memory? So I wasn't, I don't remember, 99. And uh, so my first ever game at Old Trafford was actually, he scored a free kick at it. So behind the goal, it was my granddad's 70th. So can't really ask for a better kind of goal to see. Like a Beckham free kick was one of those ones, like he was synonymous with them. And then uh, kind of just a funny tidbit about him. Uh, at the same time, my sister was a United fan as well. And uh, not so much anymore, but she was seven or eight. And uh, she wanted to get a poster like most people did at David Beckham. And my dad refused, said she wasn't allowed to have one, get another player. So instead, she was given a Yap Stan poster and uh, quickly became her favourite player for about two years. So uh, two different kind of shaved head fellas. But uh, yeah, I think it was easier having him on the wall. But uh, yeah, I'm kind of like looking back, like a very underrated player in a lot of sense because the celebrity came, became so big. Like he's more known as a brand than a footballer. But uh, like, yeah, like you, when you if you saw like what he could do crossing a ball or from any dead ball was like, one part like people say De Bruyne and Trent now, but I think it's almost like somewhat disrespectful of how good Beckham was because the guy literally he was called Golden Balls for a reason. So uh yeah, that's the two kind of stories of having. Nice, nice. Um yeah, kind of one last point I, I wanted to cover off before we leave. Um time's uh running quickly as as per usual. So we've got a last few minutes to talk about this point. Um there's been a lot of talk about kind of Pep versus Sir Alex and their time in football. And, and a few, few kind of people have mentioned how, um, you know, Sir Alex maybe shouldn't really be classed as such a, you know, renowned manager because he wasn't able to do it in, um, you know, different countries. And Pep's been able to do it in Spain, Germany and, and the UK. Um, I, I just wanted to, um, you know, kind of relate it back to um, Nemanja Vidic, who made a few comments uh, midweek uh, and also, you know, kind of build on that. Um, one, I think, is how Sir Alex kind of managed a football club, I think, is, is quite different to how a football club can be managed now. Uh, and I don't think maybe Guardiola has has the same kind of influence. Um, I mean, Sir Alex knew every single name in in a football club at any given moment, whether you played for the under 10s or you were, you know, working in the kitchen or you were, you know, first team, obviously, or parents, everything. He knew a club in, you know, our club inside out. Um, but also, you know, just a, a little kind of anecdote that... Um, uh, Vidic mentioned is, you know, he was just so surprised at how humble he was. You know, he was about to sign and came over to watch a, a game at Old Trafford, and Sir Alex took him to um, a hotel and he actually carried his bags for him. You know, I mean, he's a manager of Manchester United, and you know, I think if anything, he maybe would do would do these things on purpose just to show how much he valued each and every player. Um, I mean, you know, we talked about uh, Beckham as well, right? Um, Sir Alex went to his house, I believe, you know, just before we signed him. Um, I think it was like, he must have been, I think it was 10 or 12 at the time. Um, and that kind of, you know, 
tipped it over the over the edge and over the line for for him to sign. Um, and another another point that you know Vidic mentioned is that Sir Alex always developed players throughout his time. I mean, he was there obviously for twenty six years. The first five weren't too um, you know successful in regards to winning the league. Uh, we won the first Premier League in uh, you know first ever Premier League in ninety three ninety four. And then, you know, the last Premier League he won was 12, 13. So that's two decades. And out of those two decades, he won 13 Premier League titles. It was only seven years he he missed out. Um, and throughout, you know, we always had squads which were evolving. I felt we always had, uh, in each squad, there would be the senior players with experience, the kind of regulars week in, week out, and also the younger players um, you know, who'd come through. And, you know, Vidic made the point. I mean, he said he signed me for £7 million and he developed me. He signed Evra, developed him, Jisung Park, Ronaldo. You know, he came, he was just a skinny winger, a teenager that used to do stepovers. And look at what he did with him. He said even Wayne Rooney, you know, he took a massive risk. You know, he saw and identified that there was um, talent there that he could build on, spent a decent amount of money, um, which, you know, in comparison to Guardiola, you know, th- there's no doubt you have to give credit where he's due. He, he is a fantastic manager. But I mean, when he was at Barcelona, you know, he had Messi, Eto, um, Iniesta, Xavi, Busquets, Puyol. I mean, I think my nan could have managed that team and, and won a few trophies. Um, same with Bayern, he had Robin and Ribery, and with Manchester City as well, inherited a very good team and you know bought some fantastic players, spent a lot of money. Which, in comparison to me, is if in that time Sir Alex had a similar amount of money, you know, that would be us buying you know your Ronaldo's, your Pelos, Maldini's of that era, which he never did. So that's just my take on the conversation. I mean, what, what do you guys think about the, the whole Pep v. Sir Alex um, kind of, you know, uh, talk at the moment? I think uh, it's just really hard. Like, one, it's really hard to compare, like, two managers of completely different generations. I know they've met in two Champions League finals, but, like, the second final, we had well, Carrick and Giggs, and it's Park, Valencia, and they had, like, the best midfield of all time. But just on, I don't think like it's fair to say to Guardiola, like, oh, he had Messi and X and Y, because Barca were in disarray when he came in 2008. Like, they had a real down period for a couple of seasons, and like, he binned off Ronaldo and Deco instantly, got rid of Etu pretty quickly, but he really like set the stall and the culture that kind of kicked on even with Enrique and so on. So, uh, yeah, I don't think you could be like, I just, you know, like, he obviously, he was, it was him and he made that team the way they were, but obviously, like, he had very good players. I think Bayern, like that was that Bayern team. He, he picked up a treble winning team and took goats off uh, Dortmund, and then he got Lewandowski and he got battered every single season in semi-finals against Spanish teams. And that was the Germany World Cup winning, like the, the spine of that team. So, and then at City, I'm like, yeah, like isn't this what it's what he should be doing at City? He he's owned, he has the resources of a country and uh, a rich country at it, and uh, he has exactly who he wants in charge of the club like Seriano and Bergenstein so I just don't think it's comparable to 20-30 years ago and I think the point like for he didn't manage in other countries it's like well he won 
he's the last manager to beat beat the old firm to Scottish League title. They were three of them and could few cups and beat Madrid in a cup winners cup final. Like beating a cup, beating Madrid with a cup in a cup winners final in any final is difficult, but to do it with Aberdeen and uh, yeah, I don't know. I just think they're like Pep is has always been the favourite. Like especially, but Bayern City's always been the favourite to win everything. Fergie was going up against great Arsenal teams. He knocked off Liverpool. He knocked like Abramovich came in with the money. We got taken over with the Glazers. Fergie was spending pennies compared to Chelsea and still beat them to the titles in Champions Leagues. So and then also like we're United fans. We're always going to say Fergie's better, but uh, yeah, it's one of those debates, and it didn't really make the fact that it was coming from Carragher, who obviously likes occasionally kind of like just putting United down at times. Was uh, yeah, well, it, there's no there's no one who's really like everyone has a bias for these debates, but. Uh, yeah, I think they're both great, but I think what Fergie achieved, he built clubs, whereas like Guardiola inherited, like City had already won two league titles before he came. United won the league in 20 odd years and Fergie came, so very different, but uh, yeah, I'll stick to uh, I'll stick to Fergie anyway, which is unsurprising. <laughs> what about yourself, Steve? What do you think? Yeah, I'm going to stick with Fergie as well. Um, <laughs> again, unsurprising. So yeah, the, the I think the, the comparison that I would make is that is that Fergie was a manager and then Pep is a coach. So, you know, people look at the great teams and Barcelona is one of those teams, you know, built by Pep. Fantastic uh, tactics and style of play. And that has kind of spearheaded the modern game to, to some extent, which you can't take that away from him and you can't really dispute that. You know, the way that he has played has influenced a hell of a lot of managers. I mean, look at Arteta this year, doing a great job. Um, and yeah, I think you can't take that away from Pep, but Fergie, as as Harry, you've mentioned, Peter, you've mentioned, has built several teams throughout 26 years and not all of which successful, but, but a lot of success and just recycling and rebuilding and refreshing teams was such a hard thing to do. And I think also the style of play that, that we have played has has changed under under Fergie, um, you know, from the 4-4-2 going to more of a 4-5-1 at the end of his reign. But, yeah, bringing players through, buying the right players uh, with the right mentality is, is something that, you know, Fergie was really good at identifying. And uh, one little story that, that I have about Fergie, I actually, I've, I've met him. Um, I passed my 11 plus, which is a high school entrance exam when I was when I was 10. Um, my granddad is and has been a scout for United. Um, so he took me to, to Carrington to meet Fergie and to meet some of the players, which was really nice. Um, you know, I was just this little skinny, tiny 10 year old kid and he, he gave me a lot of time and, he asked me what my my favourite team was and which team I should which team I would want to play in in the coming game this weekend, um, and you know he he has that memory for people. Um, you know, as I say, my granddad has worked for him. In fact, he was actually the first scout that that Fergie ever employed back in 1986, and he still gets a Christmas card and a birthday card every year. Um, which is which is is brilliant, and he you know he he went to my grandma and granddad's fiftieth anniversary a couple of well a few a few years ago now, but you know it's the personal touch to, to manage a football club is obviously a lot different now 
than it than it was back then. But you know, it really does make a difference. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for sharing that little anecdote. The most important question out of that: Did he pick the team that you uh, you told him to pick on the weekend? Well, no, because Lauren Blanc was injured, so he couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was quite close. Oh, good stuff. Good Probably stuff. the best that Blanc didn't play. No legs. <laughs> good stuff. Good stuff. Well, yeah. Time time's up this week. Um, Everyone that tuned in, I hope uh, hope they enjoyed what we covered off. Um, we'll be back next week, um, back on a Monday rather than a Tuesday, um, even though it's bank holiday, we'll be back on Monday next week. Um, as I mentioned at the beginning, uh, if you have been listening, if you are listening um, on the podcast uh, channels, Spotify, etc., do follow us, do leave some comments and reviews, it'd be much appreciated. Um, obviously, if you haven't already, please give Talking Devils um, a follow on Twitter as well as our handles, which are on the on the page as well. We would all appreciate it. Um, but yeah, from me and the other guys, it's uh, it's goodbye, and we'll catch you next week. See ya. See ya. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the Talk Sport Fan Network. Talk Sport. Powered by fans.